Every day at America's Card Room, players just like you are scoring big in record time with Jackpot Poker. Jackpot Poker is a super fast three-player online poker set and go. You pick the buy-in, and after all three players are seated, we randomly pick the jackpot. Yep, just three players. No more, no less. And for most jackpot poker tournaments, it's winner take all. Imagine turning a $40 buy-in into the ultimate $100,000 game of poker. Anything could happen with jackpot poker. Play it now at America's Card Room. Okay, welcome to Ask Alex episode 115 on the OneOuter.com podcast, sponsored by AmericasCardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from AmericasCardroom.com, Simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of the adverts or banners on the OneOuter.com website. Follow us on Twitter at OneOuter.com and join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash OneOuter. This episode and all other previous episodes are on the OneOuter.com website and via iTunes for free. If you want to send questions in for Alex on a future show, then the best way is to email questions at OneOuter.com or tweet them or post them in the Facebook group. Hello, Euroboy. <laughs> <laughs> Alex is uh, coming live from Prague in his Airbnb fancy apartment. Uh, he's over there playing a few tournaments just now. I'm sure all the anyone listening just now and listened to the last few episodes knows he's over there playing tournaments. So he's currently on backups of backups of backups um, in terms of technical uh, equipment to get this podcast going live so we got there in the end and we're lucky to hear them so we're going to go with this sort of as usual on the oneouter.com podcast guerrilla style dodgy mic <laughs> show so alex uh apart from your bags getting held up how are you i'm good man i'm good and it, it's funny you said this is a really fancy airbnb because uh it's really it's one bedroom and that bed's about half my height and then there's, you know, like a big couch and then there's another mattress I lay out. But it's nice. You know, it's cool just to have the home because it, it, it was so weird, like going to a live tournament the first time and like waking up and cooking a breakfast. You know what I mean? Normally you have to go to a diner and, you know, they feed you whatever whatever kind of slop they have there. It's like, yeah, yeah I didn't, you know, I don't need potatoes, okay? Here's home fries. And it's like, I, I don't think you understand what I'm saying. You know what I mean? And then uh, you want just eggs and bacon and, you know, they have to put toast and a bunch of other things and you pay ten ninety nine for it. So. And you end up eating it, you know? Yeah, you end up eating it because you spent 11 damn dollars on it, you know yeah. what I mean? So, yeah, you end up eating it. Yeah, it's really nice to just go to the grocery store. Uh, you know, be able to cook in the mornings. I uh, have my couch. My couch here is a lot like my couch at home. So it kind of feels like I just traveled the world to watch college football in a new place, you know, but uh, yeah, it's cool, man. It's cool. It's cool being out here. Maybe, maybe you've just fell asleep on your couch at home and it's all a dream. <laughs> I sometimes think that's the whole, my whole career. Like I'm just gonna wake up and turn out. Turns out I was a coma patient. I was actually reading one of those poker books a little too intensely on the way across the street in high school, and none of this shit ever happened. Excuse my language. But, we, yeah. we, we touched on it before. I think a few years ago. Like I used to really struggle with that after taking magic mushrooms in Amsterdam for a while. <laughs> I it was a recurring thought that like here I I, I think I'm in a coma and this is all nonsense and like. People are trying to wake me up, and if you really, really think that, I mean, how can you prove you're not? Like, anyone, 
forget the the hallucinogenics. Just anyone could have been hit by a car. You didn't know what happened at the time, and your life could be a coma. You know? Yeah, I mean, I, it, that's why when people do that stuff, like, uh, you know, like hallucinogenics are great because they change people forever after they take them. Just microdosing is all you need to do. I'm like. I don't want to take something that changes me forever after I do it once. <laughs> I used to call that acid, you know, back in my day. Like, that was, uh, you know, and I, I saw people freak out in the middle of the woods on the second day of a bender and, you know, run like, we, you know, we got men across the border. Like, uh, yeah, dude, we're in western Washington. Like, uh, I don't know what you're talking. You know what I mean? You would just be... Uh, It'd be those situations you'd be chain smoking because you you didn't know if this guy thought like he had to kill us to save us or something. Yeah, uh, you know what I mean. So it was a, and anyway, yeah. So we're in Europe, so we're talking about hallucinogenics. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, they yeah. they're selling absinthe everywhere here, and they, everybody's asked me, "Do you want to do absinthe?" And I'm like, "No, I've had weed offered to me a number of times. Uh, mm -hmm. Apparently, they had some party uh, during the WPT. It was like." Oh, yeah, there's going to be models and, you know, free booze. And, yeah, I haven't done any of it. I've been seeing movies, you know what I mean? Like, I saw Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. That was uh, that was a letdown. That, was, yeah. that, that wasn't that that was bad. But what's with all these movie things now, Barry, where every movie is just like, check out the other special effects we can do. And it's like, yeah, I, yeah. I, I like characters. I like dialogue. I like stories. You know what I mean? I, I don't really want to see, you know... If I want to see a creature trying to tear down the earth, I'll just set my dog loose. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah, CGI. It seems no matter how shit I think it is, there seems to be a a never-ending demand in cries for another Marvel film filled yeah. with like huge skyscrapers getting dragged along into another skyscraper. It's just like, oh, it does nothing for me. I did watch The Accountant recently. I thought that was brilliant. I know you watched it yeah, and said you good. enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, yeah. it's a good. It was. It's a fun movie. Yeah, it was. Uh, what the other movie I've seen since I was here was Bad Santa too, and that that might have been the most like god awful movie I've seen in like two years. <laughs> I have never been so grateful for my mom to fall asleep during a movie than during Bad Santa. It was yeah, I can so, imagine so <laughs> profane and so. And I love the first movie. The first movie is one of my favorite movies of all time. I, the late Bernie Mac, uh, Billy Bob Thornton, when he gets going, is so funny. You know what I mean? And yeah, yeah. they, you know, they kind of go bar for bar in this new one. And there was a lot of like funny lines, but it just had no cohesion and anything. You know what I mean? It was just like, and it was yeah. pretty soulless. But yeah. Anyway, let's let's churn it out for Christmas and guarantee a, yeah, a yeah, hundred mil guarantee a profit. Yeah, box office yeah. saying you know Billy Bob Thornton gets to go lament lo losing Angelina Jolie for another few years. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. Uh, oh, by the way, I final table to WBT people. Yeah, yeah. Well, tell us first. Let's get it out of the way because uh, if you've been following it on Twitter, um, Alex lost his bags uh, before. Oh, well, the no. airline lost <laughs> these bags. Uh, but it all ended well. Yeah, it all ended well. The only problem with every time you lose your bags is I get this weird thing where it's like it's 7 p.m. in Europe. And, like, for people who've never been to Europe, like, I, I, I guess this isn't as pronounced in some parts of the United Kingdom in a lot of the English-speaking countries. But, like, when you go to the casino in, like, Italy or the Czech Republic or Greece, like, it, it is a big deal. You know what I mean? There's a reason people dress up in their cars 
Uh, I yeah. mean, people show up in their cars. It, there's a reason every James Bond movie has everybody looking like a multimillionaire. It's because that's how people like to look in casinos. And there's usually a much more stringent dress code in Europe than there is in the United States, where in the United States, it's like, well, did you defecate on your sweatpants? Yes. Well, I'm sorry. You can't come in today. But they let me do that in the Gold Coast. And it's like, yeah, I know. I'm sorry, but you can't. But here it's like, well, uh, you need a button-up shirt, sir, with a collar, not not just a, you know what I mean? It was a big deal when we were able to wear hoodies and jeans, right? But you still can't, like, wear sandals or, like, uh, you know, really beat tennis, tennis shoes or something like that. So I had this weird moment where at 7 p.m. my friend told me, Air, Fran Air France, I don't want to go after them because they were all pretty cool people the ones I talked to, but yeah, they delayed my flight 15 hours and somehow couldn't manage the switch off of, <laughs> you know, they couldn't get the baggage uh, switch off. They yeah. sent me to the wrong bus stop. So I waited for 40 minutes in the Parisian cold before some Frenchman took uh, 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 pity on me and directed <laughs> me to the right one. And uh, yeah, you know, uh, they, a friend of mine was telling me Air France took like three days. Uh, to get them their bag, right? Uh -huh. And so it's 7 p.m., and I haven't even been able to think about it because what happened is they, they go, okay, we don't have your bag. I'm, like, dying as I come into the airport because of, like, an allergy. And, like, but nobody cares, by the way. Like, there there's a guy in the middle of their plane going, la, la, and, like, nobody cares, right? And then uh, for a straight hour, I'm just dying. Like, nobody goes like, hey, anybody got a Claritin? Uh, I don't think this kid's doing so well, right? And then, uh, anyway, I get in the airport. I'm, like, dying of some allergy, which to, I still haven't identified. My sniffles have mostly gone away since then. But, yeah, they were like, oh, yeah, we lost your bag. And I'm like, okay. And they're like, where are you staying? I give my address at the private residence. And then they go, okay, do you have a check telephone number? I say no, and the woman just grimaces and hands me my receipt. Now, it's not till I get outside five minutes later that I realize she's grimacing because she has no way to contact me. So yeah. how is she going to give me my bag, right? She doesn't know who to ring up if she goes to the apartment complex. She has no number to reach me on. It's not a hotel, so they can't just drop off the bag at the front. So it occurs to me, I'm really glad this occurred to me because otherwise it would have taken me a few hours and I wouldn't have known what to do, right? And uh, I, it, or everything would have closed. So I go and get a SIM card. I have to install the SIM card in check, which was an experience. I got lucky with a few guesses. By the way, I needed another uh, SIM card installed the other day and a check kid did it for me at the store and he screwed it up. So this is the weirdest day ever. And then, yeah, anyway, so I get a cell phone, I get a number, uh, I send it to Air France, and they're like, we have no idea where your bag is, right? I'm like, okay, great, you know, got, got more good news, right? I have, like, one shirt. So I went to some check place, and I just got, like, the goofiest rich boy clothes you can imagine, like, just the most European, like, you guys with, like, the polka dots and the button-ups and crap. And they, I just, whatever was cheap and would get me into the casino, you know what I mean? And I got I got a jacket. Uh, you know, I got, like, a good jacket. I got some cheap underwear. I got some cheap socks, some gloves. It was pretty cool. 
Uh, it was everything here is really cheap, by the way, in the Czech Republic, like really cheap. People didn't really seem to like me the first day I was here, but then I started trying to, I don't know, you try to like match their energy level when you say hi. I think like Americans really frighten them because like people in the Czech Republic don't go hi, you know, like the way <laughs> Americans do. But like once I learned like, you know, Dobry den and Rozumite Anglitsky, like the hot. Hi, good day. Do you speak English? Like most people have spoken English and have been really kind, right? Everything's really cheap. It's awesome. But yeah, anyways, I got all these goofy clothes for really cheap. And then like an hour later, my bag was there from, you know, so I have, uh, but that was cool. Yeah, everything's, everything went really well. I got a good night of sleep uh, before the first day of the WPT. Uh, my body kind of gave out because mom, watch out, watch out. You have the, okay, be careful there. Okay. Sorry. My mom was about to trip on something, which would not have made for good podcasting. And then, yeah. uh, uh, anyway, no, uh, essentially I, I, I got a good night's sleep. I didn't feel the effects of jet lag because live poker 101 has been really taking away my sleep the last two and a half months because, I didn't really realize what I signed on to. It just kind of sounded like a good, cool project. But every week I had to create another webinar, you know what I mean? And those are, those are hard to put together, you know? And then, you know, I end up having like one or two sleepless nights a week, but it became pretty good practice because then I realized, well, you know, like these vitamin supplements keep you pretty alert. This kind of nap will like make sure you don't go into deep sleep, but it does rest you quite a bit. And, uh, I, I was able to get over the jet lag, but my body really gave out. I, and, like, my lips got chapped. I knew that was going to happen. But then they started, like, you know, they get cut and they're bleeding. That's never fun. Uh, my skin just got dry all over and cracked and all that. And then I did have a cough. And then my stomach just adjusting to the new water system and the food was not doing that well. So I was kind of... You know, with the WPT, I was kind of, well, let me see what I can put in my favor. And what I did was with my business manager, we actually put together a report. Essentially, I did a scouting report on Euro tendencies right now. I wrote a strategy for what I believed would most likely lead to success in Euro tournaments. We spent a few hours putting it together, bouncing thoughts back on the way to the tournament. Uh, in the Uber, I just went over that report and it just worked like a charm every day. You know, it kept me out of trouble. I was a lot tighter than I normally am uh, just mm -hmm. because every, every, everybody in Europe is really, uh, they, they're very aggressive, right? I spend more time like identifying like counter moves I could do. And that, that really worked out really well. And yeah, I ended up, uh, I got to the final table. I didn't have many chips. I tried a check raise I really liked from like 20X down to like 13x, which I, I think a lot of 18x down to 13x, which uh, I think surprised quite a few people. But I, I checked, I backed up the math uh, at home. It was fine. I only had one hand in the entire tournament where I was like, I think I just got outplayed, and that was about it. You know what I mean? Every other hand, I knew exactly what I was trying to accomplish, and uh, it went really well. Uh, I think the guy who outplayed me is probably a very, very good player. He seemed like a very nice guy. And there's no way in the first, like, five hands with a guy you're going to anticipate that. You know what I mean? So I'm not really beating myself up about it. 
But I had like several opportunities to end my tournament. But because I've been doing so much work, you asked me in a previous episode, how do you start uh, working up to a tournament series? And it's like, it's really like I just go over strategies again generic strategies with generic hands, what worked in one tournament, what should work again. And it was all Live Poker 101. Live Poker 101 was teaching me how to think sleeplessly about different poker situations. And it also got me because something I was teaching my students is I would put them in an unsolvable situation. And I'd be like, okay, be careful, guys. Now, you have to, you have to go for more information here. And uh, it, it, you have to try to talk to the person, see if you can get uh, a more natural reaction. I, I'm not going to go too far into that into the one outer podcast because that might reveal some pretty crucial strategies that they paid literally like $800 for. But I did that in one like really key hand, and I got the feeling the guy was resigned to his fate, and that really clips off a few hands with a lot of people. And uh, I think that avoided me losing not even a cash, but like a final table. You know what I mean? I, I don't even think I would have cashed the tournament if I had played that hand differently. And uh, essentially, I had to fold tens to a single re-raise pre-flop, which infuriated me. But uh, at the same time, yeah, now now I got a final table, 15k euros. It was a small event, you know, only 3,000 euros. Uh, but it was really cool just being in the Czech casinos, you know what I mean? They put you in the, all right, we're going to go underground. you got to walk down these steps, right? And it's like what, everybody's wearing, like, their big, like, babushkas and their big, like, jackets. <laughs> and it, and the, you, you forget it's a former Soviet state, right, until everybody, you know, the Russians have their little click, the Czech guys have their little click, the Ukrainian guys have their little click. And a lot of them speak kind of Russian, and they all kind of argue with each other, and you can tell there's an animosity <laughs> between all of them. But with the, me, everybody was really nice. Like, nobody uh, – I, I was really impressed by the caliber of professionalism in this tournament. There was, you know uh, – there was one kid there who was clearly a live player, and he took way too long on all of his decisions – but I couldn't be 100% sure that he wasn't just, like, new to poker. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. everybody was kind of berating him. That was the one thing I didn't like. I was like, yeah, it pisses me off too, man. But, like, I, I don't think – he even said at one point he thought really long in a huge pot. And he had, like, near the nuts or something like that. But he wasn't sure he should call. And he said at the end of the pod, everybody was complaining about his call. He was like, I guess you guys are just better at poker than me. I'm sorry. I don't know what to do there. And I'm like, yeah, exactly, guys. Can we just, you know, give them some space? You know what I mean? Like, I don't love it either. But, like, yeah, anyway. That was uh, – anyway, that kid turned out to be Czech. And that was kind of cool because then I got to meet some of the Czech homies and stuff like that. And that was – yeah, it was a good, you know, it was just a good time. I like playing poker. I, I like playing poker, period. It was really different to do it in Europe after so many years. There's so many strategies that have, like, jumped certain borders that haven't jumped others. And you got to kind of, it was really hard because when I was living in Europe, I could kind of pick up, like, keywords and know what language people were speaking. And I can't do that anymore, you know what I mean? And with Europeans, you can't, like, look at physical appearance and figure out where they're from. 
And like, I mean, I don't know, maybe you can, Barry, but I can't, you know what I mean? But there was, mm. you know, like the Russian, oh, there was a Russian guy that informed me Alaska is part of Russia and will become part of Russia again. Uh, so that was interesting. Uh, but yeah, he busted. There was only like one or two really unpleasant people, but yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a pretty badass experience. I, how did how did you find like the overall standard of play like as you approached the final table? Uh, everybody was very good. Uh, I think a little too trigger happy. Uh, my essential strategy was just you know trying to take their aggression and turn it against them. There was only one real guy who saw through it. And, well, he either saw through it or he just picked up the hand. I have no idea, right? But, like, uh, there's only one guy I'm moderately worried, like, outplayed me in a pot or two. Everybody else, I felt like there was a lot of aggression for aggression's sake, which is always my key criticism of uh, European players, uh, which was I used to be, like, a psychopath, and that was because everybody else was a nit. You know what I mean? And it yeah. was... It's very funny that other day Carlos Welch was having a stream and there was some very pleasant person who said, Carlos Welch did some goofy play with 8-6 or something. I, I was kind of, I was answering 150 emails, so I wasn't paying that great of attention. I was like, what are you doing, Carlos? And he's like, some guy was like, we can't all play tight like you used to do back in the old days. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? That back when everybody was tight and you could win at poker, Alex. And I was like, okay, first of all, back in the day, I was a psychopath, too. I just made 15 Gs in a week. You know, I, oh, excuse me, I, uh, there's the buy in 12,000. Excuse me, you know what I mean? Like, I opened up my MTT action to investors for the first time in years, and oh, by the way, they got a cash. So that makes cashes, and these are the tournament series I've played in this year, PCA in the Bahamas, uh, SHRPO, WSP main event, uh, WPT Prague main event. I have caches in all four of those tournament series that you just mentioned. So, yeah, you know, anyway, but I, I'm such a nit now. It's amazing, Barry. <laughs> like, I can't – everybody – well, and like, there's just guys – a part of the art of live poker is you've got to sit at a table, and that first 10, 15 seconds, you've got to feel who's gunning for you, right? You've got to kind of – I try to keep myself pretty inoffensive. I try to do the, like the bumbling American thing. Most people seem to treat that guy a lot better than, oh, check me out with my backwards cap, baby. You know, like uh, turbo stud, whatever. And then uh, everybody, it's like just acting like, if you can act like I'm not trying to offend anyone. I know I'm a visitor here. I just want to play some cards. Everybody treats you nice, and if there's one guy that eyeballs you a little bit more, that's the guy who's coming for you, right? And it was crazy. Like, I was sitting there in the first, like, three positions at an eight-handed table, and I was like, I do not think I can open here unless I'm prepared to four-bat. And sure enough, the first, like, three orbits I had, you know, my – I had, like, fives one time, and I was like, well, I'm not flatting a three-bat, and I'm not four-batting it. So why mm -hmm. would I open here? So I folded fives. That felt weird. And uh, it came around to me. And then I have ace-ten, which is just a complete piece of crap. And I was like, but this is a great four-betting answer. Sure enough, I opened it up. And sure enough, the guy who I eyeballed me on the button three-bet. And, you know, it came around to me. And I, I four-bet within about three seconds, as was my plan. And the guy just wasn't ready for that. And he folded. Mm -hmm. And that was a really... 
when you feel that three moves ahead, that's incredible, but it's taken me a long time to learn how to do that with Europeans because Europeans will come after you more often, but they, in general, uh, they're more talented now. So it's not just unabashed. It's not like in the old days where I just knew for a fact one of these three guys was going to three Batman. It was going to be BS, right? Now I have to know the exact guy because if I do that against three other dudes, I, I'm just handing my chips off to somebody. You know what I mean? So it, it's been uh, it, it's been an adventure. It was certainly a very taxing mentally tournament. Uh, mentally, it was a very taxing tournament, especially you know you just get right off the plane and you have a nine hour time difference. But yeah, it's been it's been a very welcome challenge that I've been enjoying. And woohoo! All the investors are free rolling now. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, me being one of them. Yeah. Um, so when's the next tournament, Alex? You know, there was a – I was thinking of playing the Poker Stars Cup, and that was on my list of tournaments I was going to buy into. And uh, that one, I, I don't know why, but I thought it had a, three starting days, and I checked, and it just has like seven mm. or something bizarre – and essentially, if I made it to day two, it would interrupt all my plans uh, for bigger tournaments. So I'm not playing that. Uh, the Eureka main event has two day one A's. Um, I was going to play day one A, but then it occurred to me there's probably some low stakes guys who kind of want to play and get out of here if they don't make day two. And I mean, but like grinders, you know what I mean? Like professional mm -hmm. players from around Europe, whereas... Day 1B uh, is a Saturday, which is a day off in the Czech Republic, as it is in most of the world. And I think that's where a lot of the loose money is going to come. So I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to chill on the 9th and then on the 10th. I, I'm in the Eureka main event. Also, Friday night, you always want to play the day after everybody's been drinking. Uh, because people who've been drinking make poor, sloppy decisions Every every time they've ever tested college students, like even people who don't get hangovers, they, they're sloppier on tests the next day, right? So if you can set up your starting day after a drinking day, I, I think that's great. Like I'm going to I'm going to be going to a concert the night before, but like literally, I you know, I would bet one hundred thousand dollars. You won't see me with a beer there because there is no chance I will have a beer the night before a tournament or ever. I don't drink. By the way, everybody, somebody asked me, like, how are you doing with your sobriety, man? And it, it kind of hurt. It, it kind of, it didn't hurt me. I, I, it, 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 was, it, it was weird to me because I felt like I had let them down because I never had, like, an official sobriety day, went to a meeting or anything like that. I just, I realized if I was going to play poker for most of my profession, I, I didn't have the luxury of drinking or getting high because it seems to affect me much more than other people. But it kind of, it kind of hit me. Like I, I should really officially tell people, you know what I mean? Like that's a thing. Like, but at the same time, I hate that weird dude at the party. Like, no man, no man, no drinking for me. Straight edge. You know what I mean? It's like, well, you know what I mean? Hey man, check out this beer. It's like this weird beer from like this weird country. It's like, no man, no, no, no alcohol passes these lips. It's like, all right, dude. Yeah, you're special because you're a screw up. I'm proud of you. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think that's so weird. But yeah, anyway, uh, even though this is the beer capital of the world, you will not see me with a beer the night before 
And that's also because, you know, I sold out 50% to you guys. So that would just be wildly embarrassing if I were to fall off the wagon hard and then through the cobblestone streets and into the police station. So anyhow, we got some questions for these kids today. Yeah, yeah, there are questions. And okay, this one is from Jack. What's up, Jack? Hi, hi guys. Uh, okay, I have a question. When I'm playing online MTTs, I'm going along fine with 25 to 30 big blinds. But then let's say you are not getting premium hands. Uh, then when you get something mediocre, say small pair, king jack off, ace 10 off, etc. But someone opens before you. Uh, how do, sorry, how to, he's put how to, sorry, how do we deal with this period of play? As when the next blinds kick in, we will drop to say 15 to 20 big blinds. If this continues, then we can quickly find ourselves in the 10 to 15 big blind push fold spot. What should I be looking to do to avoid this? Well, uh, one thing that really uh, occurs to me when I listen to your question is you seem to have this fear of going to 10 to 15 big blinds. And I agree if we can get out of that spot, we should do so. And that you, you should be gambling in general much more with like a 20 to 25 big blind stack than say like a 50, 60, 70 big blind stack, which is, you know, that's quite a rodeo deep in a tournament. Uh, that being said, I, I think people make this much more pronounced. Uh, I, I think just the elimination in a tournament needs to be something, if it happens, it happens. It, it, it's very strange. Like when I get into coin flips, it never occurs to me like this could be it. It's just one of those, it's a facet of the game, you know, and then if it is it, it is, that's it. And you think about it from that point on. But I find if you start anticipating it, trying to avoid it, it's just like when you're looking at the tournament lobby and you see your first in chips out of 12 and you'd really like to be first in chips out of nine. So you do some free bets you wouldn't normally be doing. And that's kind of like jockeying for a position that might not realistically exist within the tournament because or, or even matter so yeah, exactly you know, or so, even yeah. matter exactly so yeah. every here's the thing you need to remember every time you play po tournament poker at the very least 80% of the time you're not going to cash so you got to be comfortable with four or five four times out of five you're going to walk away from that table losing uh second of all you are more likely to have a short stack in a poker tournament than any other stack uh, once you get about, once you get about forty percent of the way into it, just due to how the blinds raise. So this is not foreign territory uh, to worry about. What if you want to get better about what you can jam and not jam? I'd really rec recommend the Share My Pair app. Uh, excuse me, not Share My Pair. Although that's a wonderful app as well. Uh, Float the Turn app is really good. Uh, it, it, you can just put it on your cell phone. It'll show you jamming ranges for whatever position you're in. Uh, in a live tournament, and you can click a button, and it'll change your position and keep the same stack sizes and everything, and then show you your new chart. Uh, I find a lot of people that are as worried about getting to 10 to 15 big blinds as you just don't know their jamming charts. So, like, 15 big blinds becomes 9 big blinds all the time, and then becomes death, right? Whereas 15 big blinds is actually still, you know, you can you can come back from that pretty easily, right? Uh, from the 20, some specific strategic considerations from uh, 25, uh, you say like 25 to 30x, right? 
Yeah. Yeah, like 25 to 30 X. Um, you're really susceptible to three bet bluffs in that spot. So my guess is you're playing with players that identify that and they're trying to put the pressure on you. Uh, and that's making you feel like you're out of moves because what then happens is you have a hand like sixes with 27 big blinds and a guy opens from early position. You, you know damn well if you had 37x, you could maybe flat him there. And you know if you had 17x, you could jam, but you're in this weird no-man's land with 26, 27 big blinds and you have to fold. So you, you can't open. Uh, you can't three bet all in. So you're real pissed here. Well, what you got to be doing is three-bet semi-bluffing, and you can actually make this a lot cheaper from your short stack. So what that means is somebody makes it 2.5x. If you make it 6.5x from a 27x stack, a lot of times that is just terrifying to a good player, right? Because you you don't look like you're folding if the guy jams, right? And uh, a lot of times he looks kind of like an imbecile if he flats your uh, at your 6.5x uh, three bet given the pot odds. Now most people, a lot of people that now don't care about looking like an imbecile, so they just flat you. And there are some occasions they should do that. But uh, the good thing is your c bet a lot of the time is going to work because in your c bet can be a very small percentage of your stack, and still it's going to put the guy into what he feels is a shove or fold situation. And then if he does call you, now you get a number like you get to all seven cards so there's a lot of different ways this can stack up so this is one of those things i see a lot of people with like king jack offsuit and they have 28 big blinds and ep opens and they muck that king jack offsuit really fast but with sevens they're sitting there really pissed no 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 your sevens are in the muck your king jack offsuit is your money hand right now with 28x guy opens to 2x you make it 5x always make it 2.5x the guy flats you now, if you see that 4.7x, which means your bet's going to need to work 26% of the time, it looks like you're going for all the chips. The guy doesn't feel like he can flat you or jam into you, especially in a live forum. A lot of times mm-hmm. people just aren't going to conceptualize how many chips those are. It just looks like quite a bit of them, especially if you use a lot of your lower denomination chips. Um, if, if you can put them in that headspace, I find you get a disproportionate amount of folds on the flop. And that's kind of how I chip up constantly from 28X to, uh, okay, now we're back in a 37, 38X territory. Welcome to my game. And uh, th- then you can I, – I think that three-bet semi-bluff is like the game changer mm-hmm. these days, right? I, I don't – anybody's first open these days I feel like is a straddle. Because I, I, I cannot tell you the goofy things I see people open with, right? And then if that's a straddle, me raising should not be – and it's damn near a straddle with some of these guys because they just got to pop it open with anything from AP. And when they see me three-bet, it's like, oh, my God, it's a three-bet still. Like, whereas it should be just me raising, oh, a kind of a half-line straddle. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's like literally if they see an ace, the first card is an ace, they're opening if they see a suited queen eight suited, a lot of these guys are just opening. This especially happens live, right? When you have hand opening ranges this pronounced, the three bet is just kind of like they're trying to break down your door. That three bet is kind of like your flip flop that you wedged underneath so they can't get through, right? That, that's what you're looking for. That's the crux of the matter. I hope that helps you. Yeah, yeah, okay. 
And this one is from Pete. Uh, hello, with Alex selling percentage of his action up to 50%, I wondered if he could talk through the positives and negatives of doing so. Sure, with markup you make a little, but if you can afford to play yourself, is it not always better to have 100% of yourself? Thanks. Yeah, I mean, uh, you make a good good point, which is, like, if I play the Poker Stars Cup on my own, I keep 100% of the profits. And it's one of those things, like, uh, I've I thought about not including that in the package, but if I was going to play that, let's say, there's some days I'm just hungering to play poker, and I know I should play those days because I play like a monster, and I didn't want that to not be on the package and then me missing tournaments because... Even though, like, okay, let's say I put 300 down, it doesn't change my life if I lose 300 euros, right? But if I win for whatever, it's going to be 57K or whatever it is, that, that, that certainly will help me, right? Yeah, I'd like to lock up 100% of that, but at the same time, this is my job. And if this is my job, i got to look at this from the long term. Now, long term, really important... Uh, Long term, there's a lot of really important things that help. First of all, if I sell a percentage of my action, there is something in me that activates because, especially when I open it to the public, because you get, you know what I mean, you get like housewives, you get like senior citizens and guys that just kind of want to, you know, they got it, they want to sweat, they want to see the check tournament, but they, you know, they can't, they don't have 2K, 3K to get out there and then, you know, 5K for the buy in. And this is their little taste, you know what I mean? And then it works for me because they pay me, yeah, the markup. There's actually, uh, uh, it, it, I actually did a webinar about backing where it's like if you sell the markup, uh, apparently some bad stuff happened with the company or so I heard. I don't know. It was something I heard in the card room and I had not heard before. But, yeah, you, you all can look into it. But this free webinar is still out there, and it kind of shows you, even if you have a month, let's say you have a bad month and your ROI was negative 5%, if you sell markup to enough events, you still pocket a couple thousand dollars. Now, if you're 19 years old and you're on the tour, like back in the day, I never sold percentages of myself because, yeah, like if I went bust, who cares? I'll go live on somebody's couch. Now you got your disabled mother to take care of. Now your sister's trying to go back to school. Your sister's working. Uh, now you, you know what I mean. You got, uh, you got alimony. Now you got, thankfully, not child support. You know what I mean. Like it, you got all this stuff on top, and you start, you start understanding what's his name from Rounders. Ah, the guy who passed. What was the Russian kid's name? Not the Russian guy. What was the... You uh, know who I'm talking about? Kanish. Is it Kanish? Uh, was it Kanish? John Turturro. John Turturro. My mom says the actor's name. He was awesome. But the greatest speech in that movie is like, you know, I play, I, I play for money, alimony, rent. My kids eat child support, you know. And it's like when you get older, you start understanding that guy, which is I'm going to be out here in the Czech Republic for a month. What? what when am I going to sleep at a hostel? I got to I got to get room and board, and I got I got I got I got to feed myself, right? And this is all thousands of dollars on top of money I'm spending in other parts of the world uh, to keep a residence there, and this is you know not to mention familial commitments and stuff like that. So that markup, you know, if your markup 
if you can charge a pretty good fee for playing for people because you deliver for people, um, that that's pretty damn helpful. You know what I mean? And then what happens is, let's say you blank out on the tournament series, which hasn't happened to me once this year, but it happens all the time, and you'll have, you know, and that's one of those things. People are like, oh, you're running hot, man. Why would you sell your action in Prague? And it's like, because I have had years where I blank every tournament series, and I don't think I was that bad of a poker player those years. And as you get older and you experience that, and you see guys, I mean, I, I know guys who've made a million dollars. They're off the tour. They could never get back on the tour because not only did they run through the million dollars because, yeah, they had the money for everything, but then they borrowed money from other people to, like, make ends meet where they didn't have it because they didn't have a bank account in that country, and they can't pay those people back either. Whereas a lot of the guys who sell pieces of themselves, let's say you bust the tournament, entire tournament series. Well, that sucks, but all your investors – like I tried to keep it to like a 5% cap because I, and I wanted to make sure everybody like, look, man, I don't, I don't want to get angry emails from you. If you see me five bet all in with four, eight offsuit or something like that. Right. Like I'm, uh, if you throw down 160 euros or whatever it was, $160, I don't think you're going to do that. Uh, if you throw down 2000 something, I, I, I could see you might have some, uh, things about my play right but if everybody buys in for a small amount it's fun for everybody uh and then uh i get to be able to pay room and board and my meals and stuff like that uh, it pays for my uber to and from the tournament uh it pays for my jacket which i didn't know i would need because i'm freezing my ass off here and my other winter jacket is about 600 pounds and is made for the arctic uh but no, I mean, it uh, it just stabilizes things a lot more. And there, there will come a time uh, you, you don't have the money, and it'll be really helpful to be able to sell. I mean, let, if you actually got the skills with the tournament, you could have no money. You know what I mean? You could sell at a markup that pays your buy-in for the tournament. Right now, I didn't do that here. I had, obviously, my own money down on this one. But... You could do it so, you know, you do an 80-20 deal, right? And then you have 20% of your action in a tournament. And just staying in action, pocketing whatever profit comes out of it, and you had no money down, you could get back up on your feet pretty quick. Now, if you're going to do that, you need a few things. First of all, impeccable reputation. It doesn't – if you get into an argument and you feel the guy is overcharging you 100 euros, every single time I've just paid the guy because you know what? I don't want that reputation. I'm never going to work with that guy again, but I don't want him going telling his grab-ass buddies, you know what I mean? Hey, this guy shorted me. No, no, no. That's never going to happen. You pay everybody in full. You pay people on time. You do all your taxes right. You make sure the U.S. government or whatever government you have to deal with is never going to – get their hands in your pockets when it's other people's money. You keep your head on straight. You don't get high before you go play. You don't go do a line just because your buddy showed up and he wants to share that good Coke with you. You don't go drinking. Uh, you don't go complaining to everyone who will listen about your bad beats and projecting your crap on anyone. No, you just keep it legitimate. You keep it strong. And you, you can't come and do work. I mean, I was literally – I sell out to you guys. I show up and I'll, nobody would have blamed me if I blanked the first at WPT. That's going to be the hardest tournament. You're the most jet lagged or whatever. 
I had a specific plan ready for that day. I was flipping through it, a report, in my Uber on the way there. And I felt like the biggest badass ever, by the way. My, like my long coat and my like <laughs> folder with my report. And it, was, it happened to be a Beamer that picked me up, right? And then it was like, you, that's, that's cool because every cell in pieces allows you to play the buy-ins you need to be playing. But at the same time, no, like having five thousand, ten thousand dollars, and you're like you're gonna play a ten thousand dollar tournament. You need four million in the bank. You know, five five thousand dollar tournament ain't much better. You know what I mean? Who the hell? I don't care how much money you have. Who can just lose five k and be like, okay, call it a day? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like maybe when I was doing a lot of drugs, I could do that. But I'd much rather, you know, have one k down, have forty percent of myself with the markup and everything on top. And then I'm playing, you know what I mean? And then I'm playing a 1K. Everybody else is worried deep because uh, they're thinking, you know, I got to pay back my back or I'm in deep makeup, yada, yada, yada. It's like, nah, man. You know, you, you do things on your own terms. You, you pay your bills in the meantime. You get a lot of experience. And then, yeah, you know, the good things come. Yeah. And it works for you. It's obviously working. One for one. Yeah, so, one for one. Like, <laughs> let's, keep, let's keep up that cash rate. Keep it up. All right, we've got time for one more question, and sure. then we're going to wrap it up. So this one uh, is from Terry. With Alex playing in Prague just now and venturing to Europe, what are his plans for next year? Obviously, World Series, but will he be playing more live across the world? Yes, sir. I'm going to be, and thank you guys for all these questions that allow me to pontificate and talk about myself. So this is uh, essentially... Yeah, I'm going to be playing a lot more live because I feel like my feel for it has gone up much more. I, I feel like online has been... I don't like the developments that PokerStars has brought along. I do really enjoy America's Card Room tournaments. I enjoy that time zone because none of the Euros want to stay up till 7 in the morning. And I, I, I'll be quite frank, they, they've had legalized poker for a lot longer. and In general, their pros are a lot better than ours. They, uh, they're more experienced with more markets, and they're more versatile. Now that, oh, by the way, that just killed me inside to say. But, yeah, anyway, facts and facts, right? So I really like playing late at night when everybody's drunk in America and all the regs are uh, asleep in Europe. So I think I'm going to be doing a lot more tournament stateside. Uh, I like the United States. Uh, you know, it, it's been really fun being out here in Europe, but you don't realize what a hassle it is to be abroad and it's been a long time since I've been in a country where I didn't speak the language. Right. And even getting like those first few pleasantries, like, hi, how are you? Could you speak English with me? That's a lot of work. And then it's a, a lot of work, like acclimating, uh, figuring out what pisses off locals, what doesn't, uh, where to get certain things, how to travel, how to take care of your flat. I'm, I'm, I'm like in a fight with my flat right now because I can't get my washing machine to work no matter what I try. And, uh, you know, I had to fight with the TV to get it to work. I had to, you know, fight with a few plug outlets. Uh, the heating is different here. Uh, and I got to keep it a lot cleaner because it's, you know, it's smaller than my home back home, you know. So uh, gunk accumulates pretty quickly. 
And when you're abroad, you just get taken for a ride for a lot of the expenses. So with the United States, there's pretty much nowhere in the United States I feel out of sorts. I didn't, I didn't uh, there, there's some people that I think grow up in certain ethnic makeup and then they don't, uh, they don't really do that well when you go to another part of the country and a, there's a more prevailing culture. I, I was pretty lucky in the States where was it, like, my next door neighbor, African Americans, my other and next door neighbor were Iranians, the other next door neighbor were Koreans, other next door neighbor, like the most white, white, Republican country you can imagine. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, I kind of got used to... I, thankfully, through them, they all were pretty nice people. I, I just kind of got used to everybody in, in, in regards to America, because you know what I mean? Like, white people in America are different than white people in different parts of the world, and African Americans are different than African, you know? So it's like, it's... Uh, I, I, I really like... Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to playing a lot more live uh, traveling around a lot more. My, uh, I mean, this is a funny story, but this was, uh, uh, not really funny, but, uh, my uncle, my crazy uncle, like, uh, I, I can't describe to you how crazy this uncle is because like everybody does that. Oh, you, everybody's got a crazy uncle. Oh no, not like this one. Right. He's, uh, he, he goes above and beyond. My mom's laughing right now. She's, like, literally, I can't discuss how nuts this dude is, right? But he's a great guy, and he was like, oh, by the way, uh, I know a place, it's his place, that you could stay at in Nevada. It's not that close to Las Vegas, but, you know, he was like, if you could just take care of the place for a little bit, and, you know, he didn't want rent, but I, I, I don't I don't roll that way, you know? <laughs> I mean, like, uh -huh. that, that would be a nice, like, base of operations. And uh, I told... You know, Carlos, you can crash here, which he, he understands translation. Carlos, I need rides. There's a bed here. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you can sleep here, but you got to drive me sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, you know, I probably play a lot out in Vegas. Uh, probably going to try to see, try to go back to Seattle at some point and say hi to everybody. I want to go back to the block I grew up on because I haven't seen that place in 10 years something like that, and it's kind of, yeah, it'll be funny, like, hey, you remember that kid running around on the 4th of July naked? Well, hey, he became a professional poker player, you know? But, uh, no, I mean, I, I want to go around the States quite a bit next year. I'm not really looking at, the only reason I came out here to the Czech Republic is I remember the Czech Republic being really nice, and my memory was right on that. Everybody here has been very sweet. After I demonstrate I can speak, you know, I, I make an attempt at the local language. It, it, however much I seem to butcher it, they seem appreciative. And, uh, well, I wanted my mom and my sister to see the Czech Republic for Christmas. I thought, have you ever been out here, Barry? I, I've not been to uh. the Czech Republic. No, I've, I've been to Eastern Europe. I went to Riga in Latvia. How that was that? Was uh, that was good, yeah, yeah. That's where you find. It's a good time of the year. It, yeah, it's a good time of the year to go to these sort of places because they are Christmassy. Oh, you know, yeah. they are. They've got that feel. So yeah, I took my mom. We just started walking one day. We wanted to go to. This was crazy. My mom and I wanted to go to uh, a movie theater, and we went. 
the, the driver's like GPS just started going nuts. Like I was right there up front with him and I, it was like giving five different directions on the same street and it never stopped. And they said, look, I, I know this is a cinema. Why don't you go in there? I bet it'll have the movie you want. So I go in there. It's the most like hoity-toity Euro cinema I've ever seen. And they're playing something in like Turkish Armenian or who knows what. Yeah. Right? I'm like, okay, thanks, dude. And then we just started walking and we just walked into this impromptu Christmas village. And it was just awesome. You know what I mean? It was like, oh, here's the hot cocoa, which is really just melted chocolate and cocoa butter. And yeah. like, by the way, Czech, Czech people seem to laugh at me a lot more than any other ethnicity. I would really like to know why that is. But like <laughs> every time I say Dobri Den, you know, like ah, good day, they're like, ah! <laughs> like, and then they're really nice. But yeah, the uh, uh, the little girl who served me the hot chocolate was laughing at my reaction because it was just so rich, right? And then uh. Yeah, you know, it was so nice, like it was snowing and, you know, you got the bit, you got the Christmas carolers and the old cathedral singing hymns. And I was like, dude, this is far out. This is yeah. trippy, you know, much better than in San Jose where it's like I'm sweating. I'm trying to get fried chicken before I go back into my barred window house, you know. And then, <laughs> uh, no, it, oh, by the way, my mom and I just kept walking for fun and we found the cinema somehow, and then we saw Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, which was about as good of a Christmas movie as you could pick, you know, because it was just so, you know, fantastical and makes you remember being a kid, you know. So that was that was pretty dope. But, yeah, how, how, Riga was good. You enjoyed it? Yeah, yeah, I went there. We were there for New Year, actually, I think, 2007. Um, or 2006, yeah, it was great, a really nice city, and food, like you say, cost of living was very cheap, you know, similar to what I'd imagine Prague to be like. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard Riga's gotten more expensive, over, like, I was looking at Airbnb places, just in case I wanted to go hang out anywhere, I, Another thing I like to do is when I'm writing, I like to sequester myself in like weird areas, right? So like I went up to my, there's a cabin I rent out in Costa Rica, which is in the middle of bum ass nothing. And there's no reception, nothing, right? It's just literally the plains, the mountains in this cabin. And I was looking, it was like, I wonder if it'd be cool to like go to another country for like three months to write something, right? And, uh, like David Sedaris does all the time. And uh, do, you, do you even know who that is? No. American satirist and short uh, short story writer. Fantastic. Very very good at turning a friend if you, ever want to, if you ever want some light reading on an airplane. But, yeah, and I was looking at different countries. And it was like Estonia was like four bathrooms, one jacuzzi, multiple levels, espresso machine, $860 a month. And then like Riga Latvia was like we fit uh, studio fourteen sixty. <laughs> I was like, damn. Wow. Yeah. And, um, Prague is not super cheap. I should also say like it's the the food is really cheap if you get the right stuff. Like the thing I love here is like cheese and meats are really cheap, right? Like you get really good Swiss cheese and you get like ten slices for like a dollar, and in Costa Rica it's like six. And but like my flat is pretty small and it was not that cheap. And I looked at a lot of different flats in this area and my mom picked this one eventually. And I, I, I said, like, I think this was the best one. And this still is 
it's a, it's a smaller flat, you know what I mean? You don't you don't mm-hmm. you don't ball out here, but it's not it's a nice uh, it's really nice, uh, really good culture. Anyways, I think I've babbled on enough, and we got some yeah. movie talk this time, man. Yeah, yeah, we've ticked the boxes on a on a lot of stuff. And to be honest, your connection is better than it is in Costa Rica. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, on a, I'm on a data card because the normal connection wasn't working. <laughs> yeah. I, oh my god! So this is this is fine. Um, okay, Alex, we will wrap it up. Uh, we're going to try and speak to you next week again, anyway. So I'm sure you'll have some more updates from the road sort of uh, thing, and hopefully some more tournament action as well. Yes, sir. So, um, Alex, how can people get in touch with you for your webinars? extra pieces and to be on the list for next time you decide to sell pieces yourself as well. Uh, you can write me at alex at pokeredorsh.com. Do give me about a week right now. I, I got back to everybody the other night. Took six hours to get to inbox zero, right? And I just realized I have like 35 Skype messages I haven't answered. But yeah, I, uh, I will do my best to get back to you if I'm grinding a lot here. Uh, I, ju- I just don't have it in me to look at a computer screen at the end of the night. Uh, but if I have a few days off here, I'll do my best to go ahead and get in touch with you. Uh, everybody who bought lessons, by the way, we're going to get working on those as soon as possible. Uh, I did not have a break between WPT and Eureka because, yeah, obviously I went very far in the WPT. Uh, but, yeah, you can also sign up for my newsletter at pokerheadrush.com. Uh, just enter your email address there, and that'll let you know the next time we sell pieces, uh, you know, and uh, free articles and stuff like that. I have an article I, I'm just kind of playing around with right now that I want to send to you guys because I haven't sent, like, an exclusive article in a while to my email list, but I, I think it'll be a good one. And it goes into kind of like a mentality thing, how I final tabled the WPT, but, yeah. Anyways, guys, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Follow me on Twitter, at the Assassinato. Say what's up. Okay. And keep your questions coming in for Alex on a future show. Email questions at oneouter.com. And follow us on Twitter, at oneouter.com. It's at O-N-E-O-U-T-E-R-D-O-T-C-O-M. Thanks for listening, and until next week, cheers. Prozine. Every day at America's Card Room, players just like you are scoring big in record time with Jackpot Poker. Jackpot Poker is a super fast three-player online poker set and go. You pick the buy-in, and after all three players are seated, we randomly pick the jackpot. Yep, just three players. No more, no less. And for most jackpot poker tournaments, it's winner take all. Imagine turning a $40 buy-in into the ultimate $100,000 game of poker. Anything could happen with jackpot poker. Play it now at America's Card Room.